Hi, I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. Hello and welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. My name is Daniel and I'm here with Pastor Troy yet again. And we're here to answer your questions. That was VeggieTales. I'm sorry. That's a different thing. (laughs) But we're here. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Bible. Josh Josh is not with us today. He's not with us today. He's Uh, out at the zoo today. Josh is so important that he has so many responsibilities that don't include our podcast. Yeah. But we uh, today we are the Bible reading continues on. You yeah. Don't, we don't ever stop reading. We're reading it all the time. Never stop. All year round. Can't stop. Won't stop. Won't. And uh, and this week, well, you know, we're in First and Second Chronicles, and it lives up to its reputation <laughs> as not, as being not the most stimulating well, no. reading in the Bible. I'm just gonna say that if you made it through Leviticus and Numbers. Uh, this 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 hangs up. This this is a place where you get hung up. If yeah. you thought it was all smooth sailing from there, that's right. This is this is some tough Bible reading, but we plunge through it, and there are some things in here that are uh, it's like it kind of teases you a little bit. It's like oh, we're gonna go into narrative, and it's like oh no, we're back to, back to just talking about uh, details, 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 details. Uh, but anyway, we get through it. But uh, but anyway, that's just the Old Testament part. Then we have Psalm uh, Psalm 78, and uh, that we spent state the entire um, so Psalm 78 and 70. Yeah, we make it to the beginning of 79. Yeah. And then Proverbs. Uh, all the Proverbs are good, and uh, there's some really sound nuggets of wisdom in this time. But the real the real treasure of this week's reading is in Acts because in Acts we deal with uh, two two really amazing stories back to back. Uh, one that one that's I think personally great to me because I have a story I'm going to share a little bit uh, about this uh, particular story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and uh, and then the other is the conversion of Saul. I mean uh, that's a big, big one. Deal. Saul becomes Saul, uh, and I'll highlight that <laughs> a little bit. Right. Saul becomes lost Saul becomes saved Saul, and um, and and not Lysol. Oh wow, that I was really please don't reaching. let's let's delete that part of the podcast. We'll, we'll but anyway, so we'll that's that so we Austin go through Saul's conversion. So that's uh, so those are some pretty amazing amazing things in the reading. So we'll we'll come back in a little bit and tell uh, really more not not as much as what the stories were, but uh, what the Word of God spoke to us this week. All right, we are back here to talk about what we've learned today in the Bible, this week, really. Um, yeah. And, you know, we're going to cover some, maybe some larger passages. So kind of, I don't want to say buckle up, but... <laughs> but buckle but up. buckle up. That's yeah, right. no, we, we're just going to talk. Um, and some of, at least, I don't know about you, Troy, but some of what I had this week is part, um, oh, I didn't know that before, and part devotional. Oh, I can apply this to my life. Uh, if I might, I may jump back and forth between relevant to everyone and relevant to just me. Uh, yeah. Kind of, kind of vibe. But um, do you want to start? Sure. You, yeah, okay. I do actually because I back because we really trashed First Chronicles there for quite a bit, and <laughs> um, and really wanted to show that uh, even though we trashed it a little bit, there was some some of the best reading we had this week actually came out of First Chronicles. Uh, and twice I referenced it, um, and I'm just going to read. These are big portions of scripture. I'll read just a little chunk of it. Understanding there's a lot of background that goes around these verses that um, I don't want to spend our time because you can read it for yourself. Mm. But in mm. First, Chron- First Chronicles 22, 5 and 6, it says, Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the, for the Lord God of Israel. And then First Chronicles 28:19 it says, All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. And 
And one of the things that I think you miss if you just read First and Second Kings, because sometimes when you're reading First and Second Chronicles, you think, oh my goodness, this is just First and Second Kings all over again, part two. There are actually some some pretty significant differences between the two. One is the time period in which they're written. First and Second Chronicles is actually written quite later than First uh, and Second Kings. But uh, but here's a here's a d- detail I think that we miss, and and sometimes we get an impression um, when we read the Bible, and that is that Solomon uh, that David wanted to build the temple, but Solomon comes along and then Solomon uh, builds the temple, and and we kind of just leave it at that. But when we read this, what we understand is David has actually got everything ready for him to build the temple. He's accumulated all this wealth, all this gold and uh, and silver beyond measure. Uh, and has actually had the plans given to him by God and then gives those plans to Solomon and his son just simply carries out that which his father has done. God grants Solomon a great period of peace where he's not at war and fighting all the time. So because he has this long period of peace, he's able to advance the kingdom. And and this is kind of a, a microcosm of really the kingdom of God at work because so so often this happens over and over again. You have a generation that is used to really fight uh, the battle to make preparations for future generations, but doesn't get to realize the vision that God was given to them. They're working towards something, but then He brings in another generation who he gives a lot of peace and and so forth to, in order for them to carry out that which was entrusted to them by the generations before. And uh, and, and it's, it's a two-generation span, and really that's it. Mm. You get two generations to make these things that are going to last for hundreds of years. You know, that's the other thing is that, yeah, you have a lot of bad kings come through Judah. You have the division of the kingdom and so forth. But through all this time, you still have a... A, a something that was given to a, to David by God that withstood the test of time for hundreds of years, and and that's I mean we think in terms of David Solomon kingdom split temple fell captivity, but the process is longer than our nation has been a nation. Ooh. And so I mean you think you think about how long we think back to the foundation of our own mm. country and the Constitution. Israel, the temple, lasted well beyond Way that. past that. And, and it all started with this young shepherd boy having a vision and going out and fighting for all this and laying the foundation, and these things were established, and then it, and it carries on for uh, hundreds of years. And, uh, and, that's, and that's a good, and our own nation is a good example, because you have people who, I was reading an article the other day about what happened to the people who signed the Declaration of Independence. It's not pretty. Mm. None of them had good lives. You know, all of them, you know, I was reading through it and I was thinking uh, most of them went bankrupt. A lot of them went to jail. A lot of them died in the war. Uh, And so these were guys who, you know, who we think about signing this Declaration of Independence and and then everything got good after that. It's like, Mm. no, it it was really hard for several Mm. generations. And, And so we... We are we're simply building on top of that. It, it it will come to at some point it comes to an end. At some point, everything that was laid out, everything we intended to do, everything that everything and, and then God will do it again. He mm. will raise up another generation of people who will work very hard to accomplish something and build something, and and it will last for a season. At some point, that cycle will end, and Jesus will return, and and uh, and He will bring everything to uh, to a close, and then. And then he will be the king, and all will be upon his shoulders, and so forth, with his plan that will never wear out. Mm. And and so you you see this. Uh, so it's kind of like all we really have to ask ourselves is, are we? Is God giving us something? I mean, and if he is giving you something, you know it because he's giving you something. Mm. It's not something you fabricate in your right, mind. Right. Uh, it's something that God clearly gave to David to do, put it upon his heart to do. Uh, and then he entrusted it to another generation. So either you're the one receiving the message, or you're the one who had the vision passed down, passed on to you, and you continue that that task. Kind of like what we do here at our church is is we're really actually carrying on a vision that wasn't given to us. We're yeah. we're continuing on, furthering it down um, for generations to come. That's our part in the story mm. that's being told. So it's kind of kind of neat. Well, that's great because it's I was gonna go somewhere else for my first one, but Psalm 78 just like really doubles mm. down on that idea of like passing the baton of the works of God, right? In Psalm 78, 
is first of all, first of all, trivia. Whenever people have a trivia night and things that Daniel said in the podcast is one of the categories. This is one of those things. Is that Psalm seventy eight is like my one of my favorite psalms overall. It's just so full of amazing things. But it's it talks about um, like my my header even for it is lessons from Israel's past, and it's talking about the things that. Um, that we need to pass on to like the next generation if we want them to continue in, in things that we're doing. Uh, and um, it says, it even says in, um, where does it start? It, it, uh, it says in verse 4, We must not hide them from their children, but must tell a future generation the praises of the Lord, his might, and the wonderful works he has performed, so that they might put their confidence in God. And just this like, this, this like, this flow of discipleship, you know, like one generation, if they just hold the baton, right. there's like a point where you've held the baton for too long. If you think about like racer, uh, race runners in a race, I, I, the closest thing I know to this is the Awana Olympics. I don't know if you're familiar with Awana, Troy. I'm familiar with the Olympics. The Olympics. Okay, let's talk real Olympics. <laughs> if we want to go secular. <laughs> um, you have you have this one well, in Awana, like you have this like circle that you run ar- that the kids run around. Oh, okay. And you have a certain amount of time, and I think this is true in real relay races. But you have a, a certain distance that you have to. Troy's it's, looking at me true. like you have true. no idea. <laughs> it is true. Um, yeah. It's a certain distance to hand off the baton, and you're yeah. supposed to build up momentum mm-hmm. and then pass it off. Um, and if you don't pass the baton within a certain time frame, mm-hmm. then either the race is over for you, right. or um, or if you do it too early, then the person, you know, like there's a, there's yeah. a time, there's a window, right? Yeah. And I think generationally we do this, we, we hold the baton for too long and right. it's not that. And, and the thing about baton runner or relay runners is when they're running the race, as soon as the baton is handed off, they don't stop running themselves. They don't, as soon as the baton is gone, they don't just stop in their tracks. Right. You know, they, they keep running until momentum. they're done. Yeah. yeah. They keep the momentum until it's over for them. Right. Uh, and and I think we have this idea that, um, or at least in practice, maybe not in, in our heads, but in practice, we take um, the things of God and the things that we know about the Lord, and we're running and we're running, and here comes this next generation, and um, we either we put it on the floor and mm-hmm. let them pick it up on on their own, or we give it to them and then we stop in our tracks. Right. Um, but there's a whole lot part of a relay race where pe- both runners are running side by side. Right. And that ensures a strong finish. It ensures that the race will continue and that you can win a race like that. And right. I think um, this is a mascal of Asaph. And um, Asaph is is just a great songwriter. But mm-hmm. um, And mascals are better for us in our 2021 20, mindset anyway. But um, Take a moment to explain what a mascal is. So uh, I got I to gotta explain what a psalm, the difference. Okay. So a psalm will, sorry, this is a bit of a rap show. The psalm will take a point about, usually about God, Mm -hmm. and repeat it in the next line. And the sum of both of those lines are the message, right? right? It doesn't focus on rhyme schemes. It doesn't focus on really any other uh, poetic type of literature. It just takes a line, you repeat what you're trying to say in a different way, and then the message is in between there somewhere. Um, So, I mean, let me, if I can find one. Uh, um, okay, okay, Psalm 77, right before. Um, I cry aloud to God, it's line one. Mm-hmm. And aloud to God and he will hear me is line two. So right. the idea is that I'm going to loudly cry to God and he'll hear me, right? right? That's what that line means, quote unquote. But it's it's also, you have to understand, it's like an art form. So it's not all meant to be just to communicate a message. Part of it's to elicit a heart response to what okay. you're doing, okay? So anyway, that's a psalm. A uh, masculine is written at more as like a narrative poetry mm-hmm. um, where it tells it almost it's more fun for us modern listeners to read because it's, that's how we think about our current songs. Our current songs are masculines with salas thrown in there, a repeated refrain right. that tell a story. Right. When you have a song that doesn't tell a story, you're like, that's a bad song today. Mm-hmm. Whereas before they would have had a different form. But anyway, this is a mascal. It's, it, it tells a story, um, and that's exactly what it does. It goes down the list of all the attributes of God, but it starts with, we have to tell our kids these things, and it gives the reason in verse 7, so that they might put their confidence in God. And I wrote down, um, just that discipleship of the next generation is crucial in ensuring their fidelity in years to come. And it used to be that I would I would be talking about the next generation, you know, with quote, quote, unquote, um, 
meaning like thinking in my future because I didn't really have a next generation. I was the next generation. Well, now I have kids and I'm seeing like college students and students come up and I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to have both, both gears running. I'm trying to learn from like Troy and pass on to like my son. Right. right. I'm trying to learn from my dad and my kid at the same time. Um, and, uh, and I, I said, w- when we stop talking about the things that God has done, because either we assume people already know, you know, they have eyes for themselves. They can read what the Bible says. So we don't have to impart information to them um, or whatever other reason we all, but ensure that the next generation will stray from the truth and quote, refuse to live by his law. That's verse 10 in 78. It says they did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. Like that is like, that is the danger that we find ourselves. If we approach the next generation, like they can figure out it out for themselves, maybe they can figure some things out by themselves, but that is not the key to winning any kind of race. Um, if you drop the baton, that's going to be rough for the next runner. <laughs> so uh, assuming they're not disqualified. Well, it slows everything down. It slows everything down, yeah. And we don't want to slow down. We want to we want to be be strong in there. So, I, th- I mean, you're talk- you were talking about um, in the Chronicles how – it's two generations and God does all this, all this work and all these, all these things happen within two generations. And, and really that's, that's what, that's all we have today. We just have us and who's next, maybe us and who's before, but, um, I don't know that that's kind of where my head was going. I had that relay race mindset. Paul uses that a lot and Mm. mm, yeah, that's it. I don't know how helpful that is. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. But I'm reading it as a dad now. And it's meaning new things to me now yeah. as I'm trying to talk to my son about, cause it's not hard. And I keep talking about this, but like, it's not hard to like talk about the great things God has done. Right. It's not, it's, it's sometimes hard to like give a, a huge plan of salvation, right? Yeah. It's hard to, we think about having to preach this whole sermon to people. It's right. not true. You just talk about the great things God's done. And so yeah. I can do that with Reese. I can do that with Jude. Yeah. I can do that with Anna. You know, it's easy. Yeah. And always make that connection mm-hmm. between great things and God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yes, and that's, that makes a difference because you do it over and 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 over, and over again, and then it, uh, which is kind of the whole point of the Psalms, is things they said over and over and over and over and over yeah. and over and over again, and those things are are embedded in your heart, which is one of the things that Moses tells us to do in the Torah. Yeah, you know, to say them over and over and over and over and over again. It's like the biblical authors knew what they were talking about. <laughs> or almost like the Holy Spirit just knows. Yeah, I I just I, I want to contrast that with so many parents who say uh, basically I'm not trying to I don't want to force my children or mm. in, you know brainwash my children or indoctrinate my children or it's like I just want, I think my kids should be free to figure it out for themselves. Mm. And it's like that is the worst parenting <laughs> idea I can possibly think of ever. You know, it's yep. <laughs> it's like that makes you completely irrelevant. Right. <laughs> it means they don't need a parent at all. The whole point is, is that you will teach your children everything yeah. that you know. I mean, I, and I even mean that when you are raised in a home that is not Christian. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it doesn't serve my best interest or the Lord's interest to. Uh, but, but I think God works through that. I think He has you in the home that you are, and and He wants those parents to raise their children mm-hmm. according to what their parents' convictions are. Because respecting those convictions, respecting authority, respecting the, that parental authority is is actually a God-given uh, trait and quality and so forth. Then it's just a question of saying, oh, their message was wrong. Yeah. But uh, and, and you know, no, no offense to them, but the message was wrong. Here's the right message, mm-hmm. and then and then you can now pass it on. But you have already built in that character trait of teaching your children, training up your children in the way they should go. Yeah. So good word. And that was even true of David and Solomon. Mm-hmm. You know, those two generations you were looking at in that Solomon in a lot of ways was a better king than David in some ways, not yeah. overall necessarily, yeah. but in some ways he was, he, he did things that his dad failed in. Right. Um, and he succeeded in and vice versa. So it's not that you have to mimic your parents exactly, yeah. but there's a, you lose so much ground. I think he was a better king. I think he was, uh, he had his own, um, his own weakness in that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the many wives and the, and the idolatry that came in through the many mm-hmm. wives. Uh, but that was something his father had uh, of weakness. His father had put into him. Yeah. Uh, his father had gone, uh, was extremely polygamous. And so, and passed that on to his son. And so his son then uh, went in spades uh, to that degree, but it was not something that David was not. Uh, and, and so, I mean, you think about how different that would have been had David simply been faithful to a wife. Mm. And not bought into a cult, which was really a cultural thing. Having multiple wives 
ensure that you had a lot of sons. And so that was what other kings in other countries did and other nations did. And David mimicked that. Uh, and there Solomon took that and went, and it was his undoing. But if he had been faithful, David had been faithful to one godly wife and then yeah. taught his son to do the same, it would have changed all of history. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's true for everything. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of things. If, if everybody had been perfect, if been perfect. <laughs> then uh, then we wouldn't need Jesus in the first place. this all early. Yeah, exactly. This would have been... <laughs> This would have been, uh, yeah, if, if Eve just hadn't eaten that fruit, yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm going I'm to switch to Acts, and um, there are, again, I'm cheating. I'm kind of looking at a couple of different things here, but uh, but Acts, there's some common themes that get um, spread around here because it is the early church, so a lot of things are happening. But in Acts chapter 9, verse 40, it says, But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Now, let me just give you an idea. This lady named Dorcas, who also was named Tabitha. Uh, who, I prefer Tabitha. Who was, yeah, I know, Dorcas. <laughs> is just, I, I hope that. That's what I think what Peter did. It's like, there's no, nothing spiritual here. It was just like, I'm not going to call you Dorcas. Uh, but the, uh, anyway. Your parents may hate you, but I don't. <laughs> that's right. I'm going to go with Tabitha. Uh, but uh, she dies. And, uh, and so they call in Peter, and so anyway, he calls her in, and he says, he turns to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise, and she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, then he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and, and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. And uh, this reminds me of a similar occurrence back in the life of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus, uh, that uh, Peter was involved in when Jairus' daughter uh, was dead and and uh, and they told and as Jesus was going to her, uh, they came out and met him. Said, "Don't bother him anymore. Don't bother Jesus anymore because she's already dead." And Jesus says, "She's not dead. She's just asleep." And so uh, they're like, "Well, whatever. You, what do you know? We know she's dead." And uh, and so he puts everybody out except for the parents and three disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John. And so Peter was there. Peter was there in this moment and sees how Jesus handles the situation. And and you can see that Jesus really just expelling from the room people who lack faith and under you know and and this is I just want people who this is relevant to to be present to see this um, and in a similar way when Peter comes upon this same thing a lot of people who are like she's dead there's not anything you do it's over so mourning weeping and so forth and Peter puts everybody out of the room um, really except Jesus uh, in spirit. And so, uh, and then doing, and the, the thing that's interesting to me is whatever he's doing, you know, he has seen Jesus do. Uh, and so in this room, he uh, speaks to Tabitha and, uh, and then we, uh, and then Tabitha comes back to life and then he restores her and people are now saved as a result of seeing the power of God demonstrated. Now, that's the part that sticks out to me because this is, uh, this is elsewhere, we're going to see uh, some prophecies that are brought forth. Uh, pro- there in uh, it was Acts chapter um, oh, eleven, uh, where it says, "And in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up yeah. and showed by the uh, showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Claudius Caesar. The disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Now." Here we have an instance of healing, an instance of prophecy, and and these are some pretty major works of the Holy Spirit that one would say, where is that today? Yeah. Where does that does that happen today? Do we see these things occur? And uh, and there is no shortage of discussion on the subject as far as uh, believing that the uh, calling where people will say that uh, called for a cessation of gifts, meaning these things don't happen anymore. Uh, there is no more speaking in tongues. There's no more um, no more gifts of healing, no more gifts of prophecy. But I think it's more important that we see what God was doing through the gifts of healing and the gifts of prophecy in that uh, we have this idea, I think, that, that they saw somebody who was sick and the person wanted to be well, and so the person was being made well. But this isn't this is not the biblical narrative. The biblical narrative is there was a person that God wanted to heal, and they and then God moved upon this person to heal the person that God wanted to heal for the purpose that God wanted to heal them for. And and that never changes. So so the question is not to have the gifts cease. The question is, is what are the purposes of God in using those gifts in today's world? Uh, and and that 
is really up to God. I and I I'm one who would would I don't try to figure out what God's thinking or try to say God is not going to do this anymore because God can do whatever God wants to do. Uh, and so if He uses it though, it will be for His purpose, for His glory, and not just because we decided somebody needed to be healed or we decided a message needs to be given to the church. It is God who wants. If God needs to communicate to us. He can raise people up and gift them in order to communicate to us. If God wants to heal people, he can raise people up and gift them in order to heal people. Uh, and and I think that that is, uh, I think it's always important to remember that these are gifts that come from the Holy Spirit to accomplish his purpose. And, and here's something always is so important to keep in mind, that when you're praying for someone's healing, what you're really asking God is, uh, because ultimate healing and this is and this is so Jesus spells this out so clearly in John chapter 11 to Mary and Martha that when we say because we think oh yeah yeah we all go to heaven you know I'm not talking that he ultimate healing is yeah 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 yeah, yeah. we all <laughs> we're all going to be healed in the end we know how that that's exactly what Mary and Martha said to Jesus and he's and he looks at him and says hold on a second you don't really you don't understand you're really thinking that that this is that these are two different things mm. and it's like it's like a, it's like what I tell people all the time. It's like when we worry about food here, it's like who do you think is going to provide food for you for all eternity? Do you think that there's going to be uh, that just Burger King is going to be free in heaven? You know, and <laughs> there's going to be have it Yahweh, have it Yahweh. <laughs> oh uh. man, uh, the uh, now we're even. Uh, <laughs> the uh, so, but the but the thing is, is if God's going to take care of you for all eternity, He's going to take care of you now. Same, it's the same God. Yeah. So that's why Jesus says not to worry. But with healing, it's like Jesus is saying, I he was demonstrating, I can bring people back from the dead at any moment. I can heal people who are blind, I can make people walk, and so forth. He said, Our goal though is not to just simply restore your health in this time frame. The goal is redemption in this time frame. In this era in which we are, we're trying to bring people to a an understanding of the power of God and the saving power of the gospel. And my strength is made perfect in the weakness of people. And so he's going to demonstrate his strength in our weakness over and over and over and over again. Uh, but it's not so that you can uh, go run, uh, you, you want to run a race, and so you ask God for healing, or you want to go on this vacation so you don't want to be sick, and so you're asking God not to make you sick nuts. It's that if God needs you, the enemy comes and, and wreaks havoc in our lives, and I, I really do has, think he has the power to bring afflictions and disease into our lives and so forth. And when he is doing this to try to thwart the purposes of God, and then we as God's people stand against the enemy and say, no, we're going to ask God to overcome this barrier, then I believe God to demonstrate his power over the enemy, his power over sickness, his power over death, will overcome those things. He will restore us in order to show that he is more powerful than the enemy and he will accomplish his purpose. But when in our sickness and in our weakness and when in our infirmity, he's going to use that to accomplish his purpose and his will and to thwart the enemy, then he's not. He's not going to take it away. Paul went three times asking for God to remove this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, something it was blindness. But whatever the case it was, he didn't take it. And it was because he wanted to show that his grace was sufficient. And and so, because ultimately, we have a new body waiting for us, and it never wears out, and it, it lasts for all eternity, and so he's going to eradicate all these things. So that is our ultimate healing. But right now, our physical condition, our and, and the prophetic words the same way. If he has a message for us to give, if there's a message that needs to get out, that we, if there's any information we know, we need to know about an upcoming famine, or earthquake, or something, and that somehow helps us to accomplish God's purpose and mission, then he will give us that information, and he will make it clear. He is always abundantly clear that this is from me, and he will affirm it. And there will be people, I, I do believe there will be people within the body of Christ who he does this with routinely to show that they, to demonstrate that they have this gift. It's like if, you know, Daniel comes and says, the Lord spoke to me in a dream, and he said, you know, that there's going to be abundant rain, you know, next week. All, every day is going to rain, which would be unusual for every day for it to rain, especially the forecast says it's not going to. Mm -hmm. And then next week, it did rain every day. All he's doing is saying, I got this kind of connection thing going with Daniel. So after we repeatedly, Daniel continues, again, I had this vision, whatever, and, and says it over and over again, then he kind of, the body of Christ will see, well, Daniel you know, has this connection. So when God does have something more important, maybe more difficult for us to follow, then 
if Daniel's the guy doing it, we've already been conditioned to uh, believe what Daniel has to say. And this is what was happening in the New Testament. Now, I've not witnessed it. Yeah. I've not had that happen. I, there's a few things that have happened like it on small scales, uh, but uh, but nothing nothing like what it looks like in the New Testament here. But uh, but understand, it wasn't that. Uh, I mean, we're reading very exclusive acts that are happening in the Book of Acts. These are things that obviously we've been sharing these stories for two thousand years, and uh, and so they so it's not going to be something that you're going to see everywhere all the time. And when it does happen, it will stand out. It will be noteworthy. It will be something worth uh, holding on to. One one thing I remember that was really stands out is in a church service uh, in Bowling Green. Uh, it wasn't our church, it was another church, but a young boy was getting ready to go to uh, school for the blind, uh, and um, and uh, parents had, you know, just conceded he's going for the school. He had just slowly lost his eyesight, mm-hmm. and I think he was five years old, and uh, we're somewhere in there. Anyway, the mother and the grandmother came to the altar to pray with him, just the mother in the altar, nobody else, and nobody else knew what was happening. They were just praying for him, and while they were praying for him, the little boy started saying to his mom and grandmother, I can see. And just say, I just say it over and over, I can see, I can see. And so it begins to swell, you know, like a shout in the church and then gets everybody's attention. We can imagine how mm. crazy this becomes in a, in a church service, a large right, right. church service, a lot, several, maybe over a thousand people. And uh, and so uh, the pastor was very quick to point out, I wasn't close to him. <laughs> I didn't touch him, didn't lay hands on him, didn't have anything to do with it. Um, but, the, but the really powerful thing was in the secular paper, the headline the next day was I can see. Mm. And so you, it was like God took a moment to, to do something that was so profound that it drew the attention of the world yeah. to show this is my power. And, and the way the story was communicated, there was no mystery in it. It mm. was a boy who was blind, you know, and then clearly could see. And uh, so you really knew that a miracle had taken place. Mm. It wasn't ambiguous and so clear that it was the secular world that caught note of it and reported it, not just some Christian website, (laughs) you know, which is not a bad thing. I'm not trying to say, but I'm saying that's, that's the way God does things. So I, uh, but I, you know, and so much we're talking about it right now. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is years, decades ago and, and still makes a profound impact. That's interesting. Yeah. And just looking at how just Peter's posture through all that, like you said that he, he he was just doing something he had seen Jesus do previously. And I don't know what it's like to just have the confidence to be able to take, to raise someone from the dead, you know, just because I said so. Um, that kind of Holy spirit has not been poured out on this Daniel. Right. But, um, but watching him, you know, when in this week's reading, he was, uh, he had that dream about the sheet come down with all the animals Mm -hmm. on it. And it said that he was, it happened like three times. Happened three times. Yeah. And we're reading it, and we have a certain level of clarity on it, we think. But he's like, it says he pondered. He was pondering it, like, what in the world? What in the world? Because <laughs> it just rocked his worldview, you yeah. know. And he was trying to interpret it and make sense of, you know, his preconceived ideas, and yeah. then knock on the door, and he's he tells him, look, I just had this dream. I think that means I'm going to go with you three times. Three times. And there are three guys at the three door. Guys, yeah. I'm, I think I'm just going to, I think I'm going to go with you. And then when he tells the rest of the church about it, he said, look, I had this dream three times <laughs> and I, this is how I interpreted it. So that's where I, that's where I went. And yeah. you know, and the church affirms that the church the affirms ch- it. The church, the church is also seeing this as God, but it's crazy seeing like the biggest, um, arguably like the most powerfully imbued person with the Holy spirit on the planet at the time. Yeah. Still, still kind of working his way through it, you yeah. know? So if Peter's maybe allowed to work his way through it, right. maybe we're allowed to work our way through it. A guy it. who had been with Jesus with for Jesus. three years yes. and uh, in his presence at even the most intimate mm-hmm. times, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Okay, um, well, I'm going to jump back to First Chronicles, uh, finish up what I had here. First um, Chronicles 21 is um, awesome. I, I really love the Joab character. Um, I think I mentioned before he po- keeps popping up and he's like that secondary character in movies, you know, like National Treasure. Um, people like the main guy, but everyone really likes Riley the best. He's, you know, the the the, the sub sub supporting <laughs> role. Um, well, well, Joab is this guy who like sometimes gets it right and sometimes gets it wrong, just like everybody else in the Bible. Yeah, and in that's this an case, yeah, yeah. Uh, and in this case, he's getting it right. Um, he David wants to count how many people he has, which we're, we're led to assume that there was some kind of heart problem going on there. Um, and, 
and he tells Joab, he's like, look, I want to, I want you to go count every, all the fighting people in Israel. And I want you to tell me how many we've got. And Joab immediately is like, man, that is, that is not a good idea. Like you have, and it actually says verse, verse one says Satan stood up against Israel and incited David, uh, to count the people of Israel. And David said to Joab, go count them all and bring me a report. And Joab said, may the Lord multiply the number of his people a hundred times over. Aren't they all the Lord's servants? So why do you want me to do this? You bring guilt on Israel. And so, and, and so he ended up, he ends up doing it. The the text says, you know, David's kingship overruled Joab's position, but, um, Joab still didn't provide like a full report because he didn't, uh, what does it say? He, he did not include Levi and Benjamin in the count because the King's command was detestable to him. So like he's it's kind of like his little way of you know I'm not really gonna do it the way you wanted me to do it uh, so so anyway he just he he that all happens and then the Lord punishes um, David he said he was with Joab the the Lord agreed with Joab and um, and in that section my thought immediately was um, of course like church attendance as as pastors it's not long in meeting a new pastor before the question comes up of, so, you know, like how many of you guys running, you know, how did COVID some right now it's being led with, how did COVID affect y'all's attendance numbers? That's how we ease into that conversation. Mm. And, um, and with youth pastors, I noticed, I used to hang out with youth pastors a lot more than I do now, but they said, um, you know, it's always like, so how many, how many students do you have? And they always try to get around it like kind of <laughs> nicely. Uh, but, but it's all, it, it comes down to how big's your youth group, man. And yeah. how big's your church? How big of a pastor are you really? And should I listen to you? Should I listen are you, to you worth my attention? I have 500 people coming to my church. You have 50. Who's really got the mm, stronger right, voice in the room? Right, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, and that's, it's not, are you worth my time? Are you worth my time? And it's not always, it's not meant with a bad attitude, but that's just how it, how it goes a lot of times. So that comes to mind when I hear this and, and off man, even in my, like for myself, I'm aware of this verse. I've been convicted by this verse a thousand times yeah. yet. I'll still, I'll still pop over to the bridge uh, every once in a while and listen. The bridge is our youth building yeah. uh, for those listening. And, um, I'll, I'll get a head count cause I want to know. And, yeah. um, and then I'll often throughout the next week work into conversations. This is how many they had over there. And right. I'm excited. I mean, part of it's cause I'm excited about it. It's growing. It's a good ministry. Uh, but the other part of me is like, I would, I wasn't telling people when it was, you know, four kids, I was right. telling people when it was like 40. Right. So, um, so, you know, that, that hits me every single time because I think I do that. I have a bad, bad attitude and pride in that. But then, um, David gets to pick his punishment, which this part is crazy. Um, David, God, God comes, uh, via Gad, which is David's, he calls him David's seer. His prophet. Uh, his prophet, uh, mm-hmm. comes up and, um, says, go say to David that I've got three punishments for this and you can mm-hmm. choose. And David quasi, he, David more like eliminates one of them and God picks between the other two. And, um, just the imagery that we have, we have this image of like the angel of God, slaughtering 70,000 men. Mm. So now David has to recalculate, of course, uh, but he slaughters all these people. And, um, then David, David repents and says, you know, I'm so, so sorry, please stop. Right. And, uh, it says, um, uh, God said to the angel destroying the people enough, withdraw your hand now. And the angel of the Lord was then standing at the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Um, and when I read that, I was, you know, I wasn't looking the next chapter would have told me this, but I was like, who is this guy? Um, but I, uh, so I looked him up and it's the same guy that David gets the, buys the threshing floor. Right. Uh, right. So I think this is, that's probably why he chose right. that spot. I'm, I'm imagining is, um, he's on Mount Moriah, which, um, if you like, we, I just did this last year, did this whole mountain study in, in the Bible for a camp. But um, Mount Moriah is the place where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. Uh, and and so right on this spot, in this this place of sacrifice, um, the angel of the Lord is like moving his ways, hacking people down. And then the Lord says, stop. And David builds an altar and he buys the place from uh, from Ornan. But um, it's just a just a fascinating fascinating place. You can you can tell in this place that it's written after the fact. Um, I'm, it says that they could see the angel of the Lord. I have a few mm-hmm. questions <laughs> about that whole thing. Right. Um, that um, that I may just have to wait till heaven to have totally answered. But um, it's I don't know. I just I don't know why it's this just like 
I find so much interest in this section. Yeah. I think it's because I, I resonate with each character, yeah. even even to the point where where um, Gad tell the, the prophet Gad says to David, um, "Tell me your response on which punishment you want, so that I can now go to the one capital O who yeah. sent me." Um, it's like David forfeited his his position with the Lord, where he he couldn't go. He didn't feel like he had that relationship anymore, so right. God had to stand between them, kind of like Jesus does for us today, right. where we we go through Jesus, uh, the high priest for us, uh, and he he takes our requests to the Father, and it's um, it's just very very indicative of our current situation, I think. So I yeah. don't know. And it's uh, where the temple ends up being. It's where the temple ends up yeah, being. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's it's, it is. It becomes a holy place, and uh, and and it's, it's interesting to see. One of the things I think is so incredible in every story of God, Andy Stanley points this out, is that whenever you're in a situation, and you're getting ready to make a decision, to always think through, this is a story you're going to tell someday. Mm-hmm. How do you want the story to go? Mm. You know, and it's it's a great thought of you know when you're when you're when you look at it and your wife is saying, hey, um, I want to do this or don't want to do that, and you don't want to do it, do want to do it, it's kind of like you need to think. How do I want this story? I'm gonna to have to tell this story to my children, <laughs> and sometimes there are just these important moments, and it's like this is gonna be something that's gonna be shared. Mm-hmm. Like there's a crisis or a mm-hmm. major tragedy or mm-hmm. something. This is gonna be something that we're gonna come back to over and over again. How do I want to be remembered in this moment? How mm-hmm. do I how do I want my story to be told? Um, you know, it's like when like when I met Kim. You know, and I've told a story of how I met Kemma thousands and thousands of times ad nauseum to so many people. <laughs> but it was, but it was just, and I tell people it was a grace given. I wasn't mm-hmm. smart enough to construct the story, but but in our married life we have had so many trials and so many difficulties. When you're in ministry together, it is just very challenging. But we always go back to this is how God brought us together. This is how we we knew we were being obedient to God when God brought us together and he brought us both together for purpose. She was praying to be a pastor's wife. I was praying for a godly woman to accompany me in ministry. Asked God to show me who that person was, and he directed me directly to her. Didn't know her that well. Didn't know who she was. Never dated her before. In fact, we never dated. Never mm-hmm. went out on a date. Uh, she'll say I bought her dinner a couple of times, but it was I brought her food at work. It's yeah, not the that's same. That's platonic. <laughs> it's not the same. And so it's, but anyway, it was... Was just, but it was. I knew that she was the person that God had told me to marry, mm-hmm. and uh, and so it was just a. And it's a great story, and it has a lot of layers to it. And but that, when you look in the Bible, that's how God does things. He he's unfolding it, and he and he does it in such a way so that it does have this incredible backstory and and layers upon layers of here's why this is here and this purpose behind it and so forth. Mm-hmm. So that when you're telling a story. It's supposed to make you go, oh my goodness, Whoa. or oh wow, yeah. I didn't know that. Or do you know how this connects to this and this mm-hmm. connects to that, you know, and so forth. And Ornan and the Jebusite, and the Jebusites were the people who controlled Jerusalem in the first place. That uh, they had to go and take it. Joab was uh. the guy who took the Whoa. Jerusalem from the Jebusites, and that's how he got the title of being so, commander of the army. So then, in this scene, you have like these two guys who don't necessarily care for each other yeah. that much. <laughs> Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. See, that's and, why reading the Bible is so cool, man. And I and I get this picture in my head when I read this story that Ornan is there, you know, mm-hmm. seeing all this happening. And when David's like, hey, I need to take your property, I I have this feeling. He's like going, please take it. Please take it. <laughs> <laughs> you take everything. Take, all my, take everything you want. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with this. Right. Please get it out of here. This was horrifyingly, you know, 70,000 people just died. <laughs> you know, please get it out of here. I don't want any part of it because here's the, you know, it's like, I don't want, I'm not going to come back here anymore right. with the angel of the Lord here. And, uh, and then David still says, "Now I, I'm not mm. going to take it from you. I'm going to pay full price for it because mm. I'm not going to offer to the Lord anything that costs me nothing, which is just a powerful uh, sentiment." But the uh, uh, and it, it is just uh, yeah, it's a powerful repetition of God saying, "Don't kill that thing." Yeah. Uh, in, in this particular place, like yeah. don't kill that thing. And then and with the temple, you have lots of things dying, of course, mm-hmm. but it's in exchange for people being killed. saved. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. Oh, yeah. The Bible is so cool, people. <laughs> Read this. <laughs> get through the genealogies. Do what you got to do. That's right. Get through it. If Weather you through it. Weather it, through it. Then skip it. Skim Just over. Read it. You can come back to it another time. It is so good. Yeah. I want to close out with a story that I had from Acts chapter 8. Something that is, uh, it was something that happened 20 years ago. And I was reading the Bible, and I wanted people to see that just when you're, I was just reading through the Bible. Actually, I wasn't even reading through the Bible. 
I was going through experiencing God day by day, and I had scripture mm-hmm. passages to read each time. And the scripture passage from that day was in Acts chapter 8, but I wanted to show how uh, important uh, sometimes reading is. And so I read this story. I, I read the story in Acts chapter 8 where it says, in 8.26, it says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and high official at Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. Then the Spirit told Philip, Go and join that chariot. Now, the story goes that he is reading Isaiah. Uh, Philip uh, points it out to him when he's reading, shares the gospel with him. The guy says, there's water. What per- keeps me from being baptized? And so he baptizes him. But when I was reading that day, I was thinking how amazing it would be to be um, called out into the desert, You know, to, to have the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. just speak to you yeah. in the midst of all that you're doing and say, do this. Do this, go here. And I was like, God, I, I wish I could have that type of clarity. And I wrote these words. I said, call me out into the desert, mm. you know, so that I have my moment to to respond to whatever it is that you're you wanting dumb? to do. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, it was just that was the, the version I was reading. I think it said to call him out into the desert. And so I was like, that's what I want you to do. Call me out into yeah. the desert and so forth. Anyway, I wrote that down. So anyway, fast forward. Um, Kim and I spent some time working with the uh, Bedouin right, in Egypt, right, so, right. which uh, I don't know if you know they're um, – in the middle of the desert out in the mm-hmm. Sahara. And so uh, we uh, so multiple trips out there into the deserts and so forth, riding camels, uh, doing wearing the little things on our heads awesome. and so forth, looking <laughs> looking like people that are <laughs> desert people. And um, and just have some amazing experiences and so forth. We had since this calling, it was a it was a it was a it, and it all started with me sitting at my desk and I was I uh, had this uh, Great Commission magazine about mission service and so forth, and on the cover of it it says "Until He Comes." At that point, I had never taken a mission trip before, and and I and I just thought, I've never taken. It said "Until He Comes" that we should be taking mm-hmm. mission trips. Is what I was saying, and so I felt like God was saying, "Hey, um, you know, I was actually going through an experiencing God study in our church about how God speaks, and I was like, and I just prayed the prayer in my office. I said, God." You never speak to me. You never tell me to do anything, you know, and so forth. And so I, and I put, and said, until he comes. And I was like, I don't think that's you talking to me. <laughs> I don't think that's you saying something yeah. about me going. And I was like, you're not telling me to go to the mission field. I know that. I know you're not telling me to go to the mission field because that'd be crazy. That's weird. Obviously, I'm, just, God I'm putting do that. those thoughts in my head. <laughs> you don't want me to do mission work. And uh, so I was laughing and I was telling all the reasons why I never take mission trips. And so, uh, and then I opened up the magazine. I said, besides, the only language I've ever studied is French, and who wants a French-speaking missionary? And I open up this magazine, and the very first word I see in the magazine is the word French, which struck me as odd that mm-hmm. I just thought the thought, I <laughs> and there you. was. And then it said, and in the article saying uh, that God is looking for French-speaking missionaries. Oh, <laughs> so now man. it's like getting really weird. Then I read this article, and it was it was an article written by uh, Charles Beatty, who had, had a cancer. Uh, he's gone on to be with the Lord now. Um, and uh, anyway, he was saying, uh, would you take a moment, at the end of this article, would you take a moment right now and pray if God would send you to take my place? He said, I'm not going to be able to go back because I've got terminal mm-hmm. cancer. Would you pray that God would... And, I, and so I was like, well, I've just asked God to say something. <laughs> so I took a moment. You're gonna, and I took you're this, gonna put up? I took this article home and I, I was like and I said, God, I'm not gonna go unless you say the same thing to my wife. So anyway, long story short, I took the article home, hid the magazine, hid it in my house. My wife found it that night as I'm putting the kids to bed, reads the same article, comes to me and says, I just read this article and I feel like that God wants us to do this. And I mm-hmm. said, I'll call in the morning. So this starts a long process of us seeking out opportunities to do mission work and so forth. We wind up working with the Bedouin and so forth. A year later, I'm asking myself, how in the world did this start? You know, And I go back to the page in my journal that I wrote that I put my hand on the magazine and was asking God and thought, oh, my goodness, I remember that. And I said, I wonder what happened the day before this. And I flipped the page over, mm. and on that page, I had prayed, God, call me out to the desert. the desert. I know. Oh. And it was like – and it was like – you know, whoa! whoa. It's like, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I literally asked those words, and, and then – Boom! Uh, <laughs> wow. We're in the desert multiple times, um, but that's how powerful the reading of the Word of God is. Is it's a um, uh, it is so potent that you are when you're in it, 
I mean, it didn't have anything to, I mean, it didn't have anything to do with, I mean, those things are not connected in any way right. whatsoever. Right. It was, I didn't meet any Ethiopians on the way, but it, but it was like, but God uses those moments that were in the word to let his Holy Spirit communicate things to us that are just imperative to get us to where he wants us to be. Mm. And so it goes far beyond just, um, and I, I'm not saying to try to read into the word, oh, I get this message and so forth. And, and you know, and, and so, you know, I saw this word or I closed my eyes and I flipped the pages and put my finger on a word. Right. So therefore I need to do this. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that, that in reading his word, there are things that God communicates to us, and then He affirms it emphatically through many other things. But but I would have never started down that path had that first moment of reading that passage uh, occurred, you know, 20 years ago. Wow. So yeah, that's powerful, wonderful. Mm. So we're gonna come back and answer some questions. We're gonna come back and answer some questions. That's great. question answer segment i have i'm the only one in the room with troy so i have a question about the week's reading when peter has the vision and uh, he sees all these animals coming down on this sheet and um, god says you know take and eat and Mm -hmm. so i guess and this is just my tradition growing up but historically i've been led to believe that this is where we kind of get the idea that we can ha- we can eat whatever we want we don't have to avoid certain animals we can have bacon and all kinds of pulled pork and wonderful things that i really appreciate mm-hmm. so in reading this passage they've always said this is where we look to just to where now we have permission to eat that but now reading it kind of like as an adult i'm looking at it and peter doesn't Peter doesn't interpret it that way. He doesn't way. draw that conclusion. No, no, and he doesn't even further on down the line. Right. Peter continues to abstain Observe from dietary laws. Yeah. So, so I guess my question is: Is my have I been misled? What's the kind of what gives there? There, uh, it is. It is one of those passages, and and off off the in our break, we off were talking panel. about yeah off off uh, the podcast, we were talking about in Mark chapter seven how Jesus had declared all foods to be clean. Um, but there is a, um, there is a, uh, when you go back to the original Greek in each of the different uh, passages, uh, where it is written, there, there's really nothing within the text where it says that he is dealing with the dietary laws in each of these situations. I think we, I think we take some liberty in, in both these places to say, um, that we're taking something that he does declare elsewhere, I think in the writings of Paul, uh, and then going back to this and saying this could be amplified to also mean this as well. Mm. Uh, but that that is why you would not see, and I, I think there's truth in it. Uh, like saying there's no day, when Paul says there's no day that's greater than any other day, there's nothing mm. special about these mm. days. And understand, Paul is specifically ministering to uh, the Greek people. Yeah. Um, and uh, let me deal with another question within the question, <laughs> okay? And that, and this is just a question that get, just comes up routinely. Uh, so that is, this, this all changed to his name to Paul, like to Abram becoming Abraham, uh, Peter, uh, Simon becoming Peter, uh, and so forth. Did, did, did Paul also uh, those saw his non-Christian name and Paul his Christian name? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no. Uh, Saul is his Hebrew name, mm. uh, but in Greek his name is Paul. And so, be, when he, the story should, you'll see when he gets saved, they still call him Saul. But when he begins ministering almost exclusively to the Greek-speaking people or to Greek people, um, then they start calling him Paul. Right. Uh, and that's, so it's just a matter of where uh, of where he is reference of where he is doing his ministry. But because he was so exclusively speaking to uh, Gentile people. His writing leans in the direction of of liberty because there was this group of Judaizers who were trying to get Gentiles to be saved through sure. Jewish law. Sure. And uh, but Paul himself still observed the dietary laws. Uh, he wasn't eating pork just to prove a point. Uh, he wasn't and he, and he was not encouraging anybody who was in the Jewish faith to change their dietary laws. Uh, he was simply saying that. 
this is not how we are saved. Yeah. This is not and and to say that a Gentile would need to observe the dietary laws in order to be saved is to take away justification by by grace, mm. uh, by faith, justification by faith through grace alone, and and so so in the in that construct we know that we are not saved by what we eat or whatever. So then we take that and put it back into what Jesus said in Mark and say maybe he was alluding to this. But if you look at that passage in and of itself, it is not saying that. Mm-hmm. It is not addressing the dietary laws. Um, and and so, like, no, Peter would not draw that conclusion from it. Uh, we are taking a, a more comprehensive thing. So the greater question is, is a, per, is a person in the Jewish faith bound to uh, observe the dietary laws in Judaism uh, if they, if they, because they're... Uh, uh, if, when they are converted to Christianity, right. um, a Messianic Jew, and uh, and I think that in that respect, it's just having the understanding that uh, the that it is not it does not save you. Mm-hmm. Is it disobedient? Uh, it's a good question because uh, in the in the early church when the council would meet. They said that the Jewish people need to continue to observe these, but we're not going to. The only things we're going to require um, Gentiles to do is basically moral laws sure. and not eat food that's been uh, with the blood in it, yeah. um, which has a, a pre um, mosaic meaning. Sure. Um, the, the problem, the thing is behind all that is that. Um, one, it doesn't apply to us, but two, because <laughs> we're very gentile. Um, but but the other is is that there is there is merit in not eating the foods that God prohibited, and I think there's I think that's something we all can benefit from is to to understand that there's more to life than pork, you know. Yeah. And while well, I do enjoy pork, there are there actually there were now we know physiological reasons and dietary reasons, nutritional reasons why we don't, shouldn't eat pork. Yeah. Uh, God protect, for instance, all the foods that God protected his people from were garbage feeders. Mm-hmm. So people who, animals that would eat carcinogenic food and, and unclean, un, garbage. I don't yeah. know how to say that politely. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, even like catfish, catfish are something that you wouldn't eat under uh, mm-hmm. Jewish law. Uh, well, we eat grain fed catfish. Well, now they show that even grain-fed catfish, because they're not really designed to eat grain, oh. uh, in, or that it sometimes alters the metabolism of their body and then becomes dangerous to us. And so God is just simply, he just was saying, here are the foods that are safe for you to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a double meaning behind it. And there, and I think we discover that through a lot of things that we, when we read the Old Testament law, and God says, hey, I want you to, to practice this as my people. One, it makes you uniquely mine, but also there's a benefit to it that we don't always understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so there's no harm in observing the dietary laws of Judaism, but it goes back to everything else. It goes back to baptism. It goes back to exhibiting the gifts. Uh, it goes back to every every practice we have, even in the Christian faith, to understand none of those things saves us. Yeah. And as long as we understand that... Um, then, then we don't have to read into, <laughs> we don't have to justify ourselves for eating pork mm. uh, because of Peter's seat vision. Cool, cool, cool. Well, if you have questions uh, about the Bible reading or any, anything, you can email us or text us or message us. But uh, we will see you next week right here on Understanding Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast. If you would like more information on Understanding Jesus or First Baptist Church of Jackson or would just like to submit a question or comment, then you can call the church office at 573-243-8415 or you can email us at office at fbcj.us. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon.